Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. Welcome back to our study of the gospel according to Matthew. Do you ever imagine what it would be like to actually be in the company of the Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry, Uh, to be his disciple, sleeping in the same boat, witnessing the restoration of the man with the withered hand, hearing the demons shriek as they leave the possessed in the synagogue, seeing the compassion of Jesus as he touches the leper to make him clean? And then, uh, could you picture all of this in the context of the imminent arrival of the kingdom of God to have waited under cruel oppressors for so long and then for the exciting announcement to be made that the wait was over, the kingdom of God was at hand, and to know that the one who had chosen you to learn from him was in fact the great king over all the earth. I admit that it's hard for me to set aside two millennia of church history and to enter into that historical context. But just as it would be difficult for us to go back into the past, it would be hard, it would be incomprehensible for the disciples to look into the future. From their perspective, the long wait was just about over, and all they could see on the horizon was the glorious kingdom. But as we've learned from the kingdom parables in chapter 13, uh, one of the mysteries regarding the kingdom was that the takeover of the Messiah was not to be all of a sudden. Like tares with the wheat, the wicked would be allowed to coexist with the righteous until the end of the age. But even worse than that, God would not only tolerate the wicked to exist in this in-between phase, but the surprising fact from their point of view would be that uh, they would continue on in their mistreatment of the righteous, in some ways just as aggressively, if not more so, than they ever had. So with the text in front of us today, Matthew 24, 4-14, we get a fuller treatment of the beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But just as the disciples surely needed to adjust their expectations of what they expected the world to be like, we too need to listen carefully to Jesus' description of what things will be like until the end of the age. Today, we're in the first section of Jesus' end times discourse in which he describes the period of time before his coming. Now, as I read it, listen carefully for how Jesus describes what this period of time will look like. Now, there's a clear break between verses 14 and 15, and so our text will only go through uh, verse 14, starting in verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these things, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, 
and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Did you catch Jesus' description of the period before the end? In a lot of ways, it isn't pretty. Some have noticed a parallel between this section and Revelation 6. And, on the basis of other passages and systematic theology perspectives, conclude that Matthew 24, 4-14, our text for today, describes events in the seven-year tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, which precedes the coming of Christ to this earth to reign. However, from the perspective of this series, which is exegetical in nature, seeking to understand the Gospel of Matthew on its own terms, there's nothing to suggest that this period of time is not meant to describe the whole inter-advent period, that is, the whole section of time between the first coming of Christ and the second. In fact, each of the three major descriptions given in verses 4 to 14 point in this direction. So let's look at those. First, uh, this period is one of hardship, described in terms that are appropriate for the past 2,000 years. Uh, 24.5 and verse 11 mention false messiahs and false prophets, a feature which is repeated in uh, verses 23 to 26. Uh, The first century historian Josephus describes several liberator figures. Now, they don't have the name Jesus, Uh, But the reference to coming in my name is not that they have the same first name, but that they claim to be the Messiah. And here, it's important to avoid uh, what's called the word-concept fallacy. Uh, This description fits even those who may not actually have claimed the title Mashiach or Christos, but who were certainly deliverer figures, claiming to be used by God to bring about the salvation of his people. Certainly people like Simon Bar Kokhba, Uh, of the Second Jewish Revolt fit this description. Similarly, the past couple millennia have seen countless false prophets, people who claim to be speaking for God but who don't. Davies and Allison put it well in their commentary, quote, The first and second centuries saw quite a few famous false prophets who made eschatological claims that any of them, before Bar Kokhba, said in so many words, I am Messiah, is undemonstrated by the sources but several of them did identify themselves as the eschatological prophet like Moses, a figure Matthew equated with Messiah. So for him, the two things were one. Our verse then is about Jewish messianic deceivers, and for Matthew, was illustrated by past history, end quote. The occurrence of these false messiahs and false prophets coincides with the desperate times predicted here. It seems like hardship just makes people more gullible, willing to find any answer by lowering their uh, standards. These difficult times are described in verses 6 to 8 with both natural calamities and political calamities. And to make matters worse, not only will this inner advent age be characterized by the continued normal hardship, which the world has always seen, there will also, on top of that, be persecution. Verse 9 says, They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then the descending staircase uh, goes even lower. Natural calamities can be cruel, and certainly war can be as well. In a sense, it's even worse to be the object of special persecution, as people specifically target you because you, uh, 
because you are committed to the Lord Jesus. But then, even worse than that, there will be apostasy, people departing from the faith, so much so that even the persecution comes from the quote-unquote one another, from what we could call Christendom itself. Now, these terrible circumstances do not seem to be bound exclusively to the end-time period of the tribulation. They are worse there, but the same characteristics can be found in this age. And there's just no reason to think Matthew's audience, reading these descriptions, would not be nodding their heads in agreement that this is exactly what was happening in their circumstances. Second, uh, besides the general descriptions we find in these verses, the command concerning them suggests what we have here as a description of the whole inter-Advent age. As some have noted, increases in earthquakes or the frequent nations at war. And here we can think of the incredible and unprecedented violence of uh, the world wars involving nations in the past century or so. And the conclusion that some people have drawn is, uh-oh, this must mean that the end is near. Get ready. But notice carefully what we are to do when we notice these sorts of phenomena. Look at verse 6. When these things happen, see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. And, and then look at verse 8. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Now, this is a powerful one, and I'd imagine that if there are any women listening who have been through this, they will add their own amen. And... Uh, know what this image is about. The idea here is that there is pain, but uh, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's just going to get worse. So uh, when we experience these these things, uh, this shouldn't surprise us. Uh, They bother us in the sense that uh, they're not pleasant to go through, but they don't bother us theologically because we've been uh, told to expect them. So, first, we have seen that Jesus uses general descriptors, appropriate for the past two millennia, of the hardships that have come upon God's people. This hardship comes from nature, from government, from persecution, and even from, quote-unquote, Christendom. Secondly, we have seen that Jesus specifically states that these things do not carry eschatological freight. They don't mean that the end is near. Thirdly, we are told that something else must happen until the end. Verse 14 states, This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, this is a breath of fresh air in light of all the hardships and even apostasy described earlier. Though the inner Advent time is characterized by suffering, it's also characterized by mission. Now, the expression, the whole earth, uh, could, again, mean something like the Roman Empire, But only incredible hermeneutical gymnastics can stop us from connecting this with the Great Commission of 28, 18 to 20, going to make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe whatever I've commanded you with the promise that he will be with us even to the end of the age. Moreover, any sort of inductive approach of the use of the gospel of the kingdom must allow for several different elements in Matthew's gospel, including the role of Israel, yes, and their deliverance from their enemies, but certainly also the message of the Messiah as the one who has come to save his people from their sins, who gave himself as a covenant, the ransom for many. The period which Jesus discusses here is one of the Great Commission. Now notice that verse 13 is a verbatim repetition of Matthew 10:22: He who endures to the end, the same shall be saved. This, too, is in the context of being hated by all people for Jesus' sake. And, as we saw there, uh, the need to carry out the gospel's message. So, 
let me point out something which should be obvious to us. Far from being head-in-the-clouds theological speculation, this stuff is intensely practical. Uh, the application is we should expect difficulties. Becoming a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that we are exempt from life's problems. Just the opposite. Not only do we experience the natural calamities and wars that other people do, but more than that, we're also signing up for persecution, both from the world and even from what we could call the church. Now, that might raise some questions. What does it we mean that uh, there might be persecution that comes even from the church? Well, again, let's look at our text. Verse 9 says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Verse 10, And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. In verse 13 then, it says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So the, the, the concept here is there will be some people who do not endure until the end. They will be led astray. Their love will grow cold. They were once somehow attached to Jesus and his message and this whole movement. Uh, if you like to call it the church or Christendom or something else, um, that's fine. But there are people that we would expect to be joined to the Lord Jesus, but that aren't. And the difficult thing is that those same people somehow turn on the people who do endure to the end and make their circumstances all the more difficult. And again, church history has borne this same thing out. And Paul will also say the same thing, that um, people will be deceived and will depart from the truth. And not everybody in the name of Jesus Christ are true, authentic followers of him. In fact, we can also notice that Matthew chapter 7 has warned us of this, that there will be false prophets who come in Jesus' name and that yet at the end times will not be allowed to come into his kingdom, who don't truly know the Lord Jesus. This also will be a special object of attack. So when it comes our way, we are to be ready for it. And we need to remember that this is the way the Lord said it would be. We shouldn't be surprised. Oh no, there are Christians who are no longer Christians. This is what he said would happen. He has not yet come back. We can endure the winter knowing that the spring is coming. And not only do we need to endure to the end as in just hang in there, it's almost over, but we need to not let our love become cold. We need to share the gospel with fervency before the end does come because Jesus' words are true. One day, the end will come. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.